Welcome to Word from the Mountaintop, a weekly inspirational podcast brought to you from the Mountain Luther Parish. Today's Word of the Lord will be shared by Pastor Jason or Pastor Jess Felici. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. When the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. A colleague of ours, Pastor Austin, shared a story a few years ago about growing up with her grandparents. They lived in rural South Carolina, and money in their family was super tight. And she talked about how tight their budget was, and what her grandfather had to do to keep them on the path, detailing out every single budget line and every dollar, down to their weekly Sunday school offering and their grocery bill. And while he collected receipts to double-check spending on every single expenditure, he never once questioned the grocery bill. Now, Pastor Austin tells of how one Saturday, she and her grandmother whisked into town in their faded blue Ford Torino. And as they strolled down the aisles of the grocery store carefully, they would place not one, but two items of everything that they were purchasing in the cart. Two boxes of cereal, two jars of peanut butter, two bags of flour, until the cart began to look like an abstract rendering of Noah's Ark, with its produce and non-perishable food items being arranged two by two. And then, like any family on a tight budget, 
They went to the checkout line, coupons in hand, flyer with all the sale prices ready to go, and they would check out. They would bag up the groceries and load the car with these heavy bags, and they would leave the grocery store and drive straight to the town's food bank, where her grandmother would donate exactly half of everything that they had purchased. Now, Pastor Austin tells of her favorite part of this memory when her grandmother bought her silence each week at the grocery store with a small candy bar, which was not immune to the rule. One chocolate treat for Pastor Austin, one chocolate treat for the food bank. Now, as she got older, Pastor Austin, then eight or nine-year-old Austin, began to have some questions about this practice. And, of course, as she grew older, she began to take notice of the commercials on her favorite TV shows. And on one trip to the grocery store, she asked her grandmother for one of the fancy name-brand cereals that she saw in a television commercial. Her grandmother quickly replied, We can't afford that, she said, as she looked up from her list. And eight or nine-year-old Austin grumbled under her breath, We could if we didn't have to buy two of them. Her grandmother's face met her own as she placed her hands on Austin's shoulders and measured her words as carefully as her grandfather measured each dollar for the Sunday offering. And she said very sternly, If we can't afford two, we can't afford one. The story came to mind as I was pondering over John the Baptizer's words to the crowd in Luke chapter 3. Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. John gives us reply to these crowds who are coming to hear him preach, who are coming to be baptized, who are looking to escape from the wrath to come. Now, if you're anything like me, as you read this text, you've thought about your own life and come to rationalize your failure to share at least half of your material resources. In our house, we spent the last few months digging out from the mess that accumulated in our house. We'd be lying if we said during the first half of this year we weren't so totally worried about cleaning. And things piled up. And so we began to sort through all the things in the house. Four years worth of children's toys. Four years worth of books. And four years worth of clothes. Many more years worth of clothes if you count all of us. And oh, the clothes. And we would stand in front of these piles of things that we had made where we could not find any place in the parsonage to store them. And then, of course, we would begin to talk ourselves into keeping them instead of donating them for a myriad of reasons, right? From the sentimental, you know, this was Emma's first Easter dress, to the more important, what if we need it again someday? What if I need that coat next year? 
when it gets warm. To the more wack, wacky what ifs. You know, well, what if we need that? What if there's a flood and we have to have it? Right? We convince ourselves of all these things that we need to have. Of course, we do this all the while as we are appealing to God's grace, hoping that we will be spared any judgment for our greed and our borderline hoarding. We lean heavily on Jesus' promises of forgiveness and grace, but we often ignore this clear responsibility in the Scriptures to love our neighbors, to care for those who don't have. And when we remember our baptism, we often recall the bathing in the love of a God who claims and calls us before we can respond. We receive grace before we can even ask for it. But we forget that in our baptism, we die and rise with Jesus who fed the hungry and healed the outcasts, remembered the poor, gave the thirsty a drink, and called his followers to do the same. John's followers in this text in Luke asked, what shall we do? Even tax collectors, soldiers, come to be baptized in this text. And today, as Jesus' followers, we are often more inclined to ask, well, isn't it perfectly rational, even necessary, to hang on to this fleece pullover I have for the fall, for the down coat for the winter when it's very cold, and this lightweight jacket that I have for when it's raining in the spring. I mean, surely, John the Baptist, in his primitive and first century way, would not understand all the ways that life has become more complicated, right? I mean, there was only one temperature in John the Baptist's day, hot and sandy. And we've got seasons we have to worry about here. But how often do we wiggle our way out of the demand to live ethically? What do we think gets us off the hook of this proclamation? Are we saved by our theological understanding of Scripture? By our love of metaphor, which blurs the prophet's words from the reality of our lives? that he's speaking to them, but maybe he's not necessarily saying that to us. Does God mind if we go about our days as if there are not still hurricane victims in Puerto Rico, and Florida, and North Carolina, still languishing for power, and food, and medicine that they need just to survive? <coughs> Is God displeased? when we store up for ourselves enough and more to live comfortably, while children and their families in Flint, Michigan, still go without potable drinking water from their faucets. We talk a good game. We do. But most of us, myself included, go to the grocery store and buy one single box of the expensive brand name cereal. And we don't look back. But the question at the heart of this text, what shall we do, 
differs significantly from the question that people of faith more frequently ask these days. Like, what shall we believe? Or even, what shall we pray for from afar? And it differs more still from the question that if we are honest, we all know we have asked at one point or another. Right? How can we interpret this text? How can we interpret John's words in a way that we can stay comfortable with the way that we do our lives and keep just enough distance from those who are suffering to make it bearable? But John's response to the crowds is clear. Repentance is not simply a matter of the mind, but it has to do with ethics, with action. True repentance involves the Holy Spirit's compelling us to change our ways and to move into God's ways, to be God's representatives here on earth, to represent God for our neighbor. And repentance means that we have to have attention to the needs of others and their well-being and their safety and their salvation rather than being only preoccupied with our own. And while Pastor Austin's grandmother did not have a fancy degree from a seminary, odds are she probably did not even go to college. And while I'm not sure that God is really judging us on what exactly we place in our grocery carts and what we don't, there is a simple statement of faith found in her grandmother's actions. Isn't there? And there's a sermon to be preached in her actions alone that are maybe more powerful than whatever we could say in words. And just like the people who flocked to John in the wilderness, we find ourselves in awe and truly contemplating the question, what shall we do? What can we do? What should we be doing? And we like to pretend that the answer to that question is complicated, right? It's so complicated that we could never possibly solve all the problems of the world, right? Sometimes the answer is truly complicated. That it will take all hands on deck to discover. And we may never really understand why things are the way they are. But the, me the message on this third Sunday of Advent is clear. We are saved by the goodness of God's grace. By the gift that he has given us in his son Jesus Christ. And we are also gifted with the ability to turn and offer relief to the suffering of others. What shall we do? The people ask the prophet named John the baptizer. And sometimes we like to pretend like the answer is complicated. And sometimes it is complicated. But sometimes the answer is as simple as buying two bags of flour and donating one of them. You are baptized, forgiven, claimed, and adored by our God. So go. Go from this place and be God's representative 
in this aching world. These two things are forever intertwined with one another. Amen.